Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, episode 75. It's going to be a hot summer, isn't it? Symbolically and maybe even literally. I'm Stacy, and I'm back to deliver not only the weirdest news and discussion topics, but also to bring you a glimmer of hope and strength during this time of uncertainty. We are the news now. We cannot rely on the media to bring us the truth. We must seek it ourselves and resort to alternative news to bring the high quality journalism that used to be the norm. Who would have thought our news stations would have been completely taken over by reptiles? Maybe not even real reptiles, but even metaphorically, how cold do you have to be to spread misinformation knowingly? And if you aren't knowingly doing it, how the heck are you not asking questions at this point? Therefore, I'm here again to come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Stacy's socials exhausts me. Honestly, everybody, that's just too fucking much. Really? Okay, first, first things first, I don't know if you've all heard of America's frontline doctors. They have been at the forefront of this fight during this whole COVID nut job situation. The founder, her name is Dr. Simone Gold, she received a 60-day prison sentence in addition to 12 months of supervised release and a $9,500 fine for one misdemeanor count of trespassing on January 6th. Basically, all she did was go into the Capitol building in which the police let everybody in. They just like opened the doors for them, and she gave a talk on the floor. She didn't actually go further into the building, but she stopped and she spoke. The presiding judge was Christopher Cooper. who He served on the Obama-Biden transition team, and he was an advisor for the Obama administration. And this was before he was appointed judge by, guess who? Obama. During his sentencing, Cooper stated that incidents involving other January 6th activists influenced his decision. He publicly admitted to sentencing Dr. Gold based on her lack of remorse for five deaths. That commentator's note did not happen, they say. As an invited guest speaker on that day on medical freedom, Dr. Gold walked through the open Capitol doors as police officers waved protesters in and delivered her remarks. New York Post. Comedian Nick Nemiroff died suddenly on Monday at age 32. His family announced that he died in his sleep. It's really weird that a 32-year-old healthy, appearingly healthy young man died in his sleep. The Canadian-born comedian made appearances on Conan, performed at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, and was a part of CBC was a part of CBC Gems, the new wave of stand-up. Nemiroff was recently seen on season two of CTV's comedy's Roast Battle Canada. I don't even know what any of this shit is, but on his Instagram, they said, "quote." It is with profound sadness that we announce the sudden passing of our beloved brother, Nick Nemirov. Nick's dedication to stand-up comedy was formidable and produced amazing results. He drew acclaim in Canada and the U.S., becoming both a comics comic and a hit with crowds who were enamored by his unique cadence, labyrinthine deadpan, and fresh take on misdirection-driven comedy. If Nick was on a comedy show, he was guaranteed to leave with new fans, and he deserved to because comedy was, in many ways, his life. Endlessly sweet, supportive of others, humble about his many skills and achievements, Nick lived his life doing what he loved. 
and that is how he will be remembered. Rest in peace, Nick. We love you. That's fucking sad. This man lost his life, dies in his sleep, age 32, along with several other really young people. That opens us up to an article from Natural News that sudden vaccine deaths are so common, they've assigned a syndrome named for it, and it's called Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but we're going to dive into it a little bit more. Now, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome is, is, has existed in medical terminology before COVID, but now the doctors and media are using this label in a new way to try to explain away vaccine deaths. What we can tell so far, there's no such sudden deaths in unvaccinated young adults. So far, this seems to be happening solely among those who have gotten it. The UK Daily Mail published an article detailing the so-called syndrome, which of course is just a convenient label to mask the true underlying cause of these deaths. The title of their article is, Healthy young people are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from a mysterious syndrome and doctors seek answers through a new national register. It says that everyone under the age of 40 may potentially be at risk of having sudden adult death syndrome, also known as SADS. All people under the age of 40 are now supposed to get their hearts checked and that these oblivious doctors claim to be searching for a genetic cause. Never before in the history of medicine have doctors and the media urged young people to get their hearts checked. It's only after the global push for these vaccines, which hijack the body cells and force them to create spike protein particles that cause blood clots. And what else? Heart problems. Medical negligence, incompetence, and even maliciousness behind all of this. Medical doctors who function as big pharma shills injecting young people with gene therapy cocktails containing mRNA sequences that produce spike proteins in the blood, contributing to artificial clotting. Clots build slowly over time, meaning many people are walking around with partially formed blood clots in their circulatory system. mRNA injections alter DNA and get incorporated into the genetic code. The source of that, when you know how they told us that it doesn't hurt alter your DNA? Guess where, where that source is from? Researchers from Harvard University and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, also known as MIT. They say that some of the body's cells continue to produce these pro-clotting spike proteins indefinitely. These clotting factors contribute to additional clot formation in the body, resulting in diminished cardiovascular function and a reduction of blood flow to the brain, which results in a loss of higher cognitive abilities. People are becoming brain damaged or cognitively retarded, and they are plunging into what we have seen and this article says, animalistic rage of emotional processing of the world around them. We've seen this a lot, especially with this Roe v. Wade thing. So eventually, one or more of these clots in the body will shut off the blood circulation necessary to maintain consciousness, and that's when the person loses consciousness and dies. This happens when they are driving, flying on an airplane, or even sleeping. Pilots have died on the flight deck. This is a major cause contributing to the current nationwide shortage of commercial airline pilots. A doctor named Dr. Elizabeth Peratz claims to be wondering what genes cause this syndrome, says that 90% of these spontaneous deaths occur outside the hospital. Australia is now launching a SADS registry to try to solve this mystery. 
They are doing this while pushing more injections into those very people, apparently oblivious to the fact that these injections are these clot shots, as we like to call them. They aren't even technically vaccines, which I've said before a million times. They are gene therapy. They are experimental medicines that alter not just cellular protein syntheses, but also even incorporated into human DNA via reverse transcription. A significant percentage of human DNA was required via this very process over many thousands of generations where genetic material circulating in the environment is incorporated into human chromosomes. This phenomenon is known widely throughout the conventional science community. Source MIT, non-retroviral RNA virus sequences have been detected in the genomes of many vertebrate species, including humans. That is from biomedical researcher Li Zhu Zhang. He also ran an experiment to test if SATS-CoV-2 viral fragments might incorporate themselves into human DNA. With that in mind, him and another researcher began to design experiments to test whether this viral in integration could be happening with the novel coronavirus. Researchers infected human cells with the coronavirus in the lab and then sequenced the DNA from infected cells two days later to see if whether it contained traces of the virus genetic material. And in all samples, they found, guess what? Fragments of viral genetic material because it all incorporates into our DNA. So in other words, parts of the SARS-CoV-2 were incorporated into DNA of human cells. Another researcher says there's a very clear footprint for line one integration at the junction of the viral sequence to the cellular DNA. It makes a 20 base pair duplication. So anybody who says that spike protein genetic code cannot be incorporated into DNA is just blatantly ignorant and they don't know anything about genetic science. As the above experiment shows, when the body is injected with genetic material, some of that material is incorporated into the chromosomes of living cells. Although this is an oversimplification of these mechanisms, the overall result is the same. The body becomes a factory for spike proteins, producing them far beyond the intended time window during which an mRNA vaccine might be expected to function. The vaccinated person becomes a walking spike protein factory that cannot be turned off. From that point, they become a spike protein shedding machine while increasingly dumping self-synthesized spike proteins on, into their own circulating blood. And then over time, like we said earlier, this forms blood clots. When those clots complete their blockage of their large arteries, blood cannot reach to the brain. When the brain has no blood supply, brain death occurs and the death of the body quickly follows. Next, FDA authorizes COVID vaccines for babies. This just happened this month. They granted, the FDA granted, emergency authorization for these vaccines to be injected into babies as young as six months old. Previously, only children of five years of age and older were allowed to get it, and that was the Pfizer injection, while people 18 years of age and older were allowed to take Moderna. The Epic Times reports authorization has a lower evidentiary bar than approval, and it's only possible because U.S. authorities have maintained a COVID-19 emergency designation despite the cases. So the only reason they can push this through is because they have maintained an emergency, state of an emergency. 
FDA Commissioner Robert Khalif praised his agency's decision, claiming that parents, caregivers, and clinicians have been desperately waiting for the opportunity. Khalif claims, as we have seen with older age groups, we expect that the vaccines for younger children will provide protection from the most severe outcomes, such as hospitalization, hospitalization and death. Another FDA goon, Peter Marks, added that the agency supposedly engaged in rigorous and thorough analysis of the shots before authorizing them. Bullshit. I call bullshit. Last fall, a study looking at the effects of these shots on unborn babies found that 90% of them died upon exposure to the injections. With that in mind, how can the FDA make these ridiculous claims about a rigorous and thorough investigation? Brian Hooker, chief scientific officer at the Children's Health Defense, says, From an efficacy standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense to approve these. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, will convene with its own vaccine advisory panel to discuss whether or not to recommend the jabs for this age group the same way the FDA did. Chances are the CDC will follow right along with the FDA, and the final decision will be made by Director Rochelle Walensky. Blood is on their hands. A reader of the time made a comment and said that this is a crime against humanity to destroy the natural immunity of infants with experimental products that have been proven to be dangerous and useless. Another said, when they blatantly tell you that your children must be sacrificed to bring about their new world order, that's when the debate must turn into rage. And that's one thing that I just, you know, I want to put out there is if your blood isn't boiling after what's been going on these last couple of years, there's something wrong with you. Like if either you're misinformed or you're not paying attention or you're so utterly fucking selfish that you can't even look beyond your own nose to see that people are dying and being maimed with this shit. My body, my choice, right? Next is something I wanted to learn a little bit about, and so I pulled an article about Paxlovid, which is a Pfizer medication that's being put out there for people to take if they get COVID-19, and I know somebody who actually took it, and she said that it actually helped her. Well, I wanted to know a little bit more about this. Supposedly, people that take Paxlovid, it doesn't really help people that have been vaccinated. They say that this is more for people that have not been vaccinated. So let's see. It's an antiviral pill that was shown in a study to lower the risk of prog and progression of COVID-19 and it, that it did, did so by 89%. The study showed that Paxlovid's effect did not include vaccinated people. It also did not include individuals without substantial risks. It's known to help unvaccinated people with risk factors for severe COVID-19. But they're also starting to learn that most people who are vaccinated, especially those that younger than 65, are unlikely to benefit from it based on what they know. And anecdotally, a majority of people they know who have taken it are vaccinated, if not boosted, if not double boosted. And anecdotally, most people they know who have taken it do not have a significant risk of developing severe illness. And anecdotally, they know people who have taken it are the worried well. And anecdotally, the, the use of Paxlovid has been widespread in individuals for whom a benefit has not been shown. And they say that they predict, predict that this is like other therapeutics used during the pandemic and an inappropriate proportion of recipients will turn out to be, get this, wealthy, healthy, young, and white. Hmm. 
Paxlovid is use is highest in states with the highest vaccination rates. And you'd think that it'd be used in places where its chance to help the most people would be places with low in vaccination rates. But that's not what's happening, they're saying. The pre-printed study found no benefit for, of Paxlovid recipients age 40 to 64, but substantial benefit for those 65 and older. And people older than age 65 without prior immunity from either infection or in vaccination. So at least they're fessing up the fact that if you get infected, you have a natural immunity. They want these unvaccinated people to get sick and take Paxlovid. And I'm wondering why. Did they sneak some of that mRNA technology in there? How come this new medication was just ready Johnny on the spot without having any trials or um, any time ahead of it before they started giving it to the public? It says that Paxlovid had somewhat lower rates of hospitalization. For adults age 40 to 64, Paxlovid was not associated with lower hospitalization rates regardless to a prior immunity. And a separate study from Israel published in the prestigious medical journal Clinical Infectious Diseases found that it helped those over age 60, but not younger people. They say that clearly Paxlovid is being taken by people who do not resemble the patients in Pfizer's breakthrough trial. This happens a lot in medicine. It's called indication creep. The idea is that if a drug works in a certain study population, it probably works for groups not studied. That can be true, but often it isn't. For example, opening coronary artery blockages saves lives among people having heart attacks. But doing so preventively in people at risk of having heart attack but who are not having one hasn't worked out. Any potential benefit is so small that the risks of the procedure outweigh it. From the moment Paxlovid became available, the indication creep was massive. Some hoped it would decrease their symptom duration or severity. And to this person's knowledge, it was never shown for anyone. Overuse of Paxlovid had other potential downsides, which may be very significant. First, antivirals are like antibiotics. Resistant strains can emerge, in part due to the drugs themselves. We know this is possible with Paxlovid, and it is a real concern. Second, the rebound effect is quite disruptive. Getting even mild COVID-19 already means missing a week or two of work or school. If the rebound effect lengthens that enough for people and simultaneously puts more people at risk of catching the virus from someone who thought they were in the clear, that's a huge setback. The rebound effect. So are they trying to say that it's transmissible in asymptomatic people again? It goes on to say that some people have taken it on the theory it might decrease long COVID, but they have no idea whether that's true. And then they go on to say that this is why they need to study they need to thoroughly study drugs before we broaden their indications and that therefore not give it to people that the the successful study group um, doesn't cover. In April, Pfizer decided to exclude most of the vaccinated people from enrolling and the US Food and Drug Administration approved this change, so we may never get a randomized clinical da trial data on that, which means we'll have to rely on observational studies like ones from Israel, which are helpful but inferior to randomized trials. So they're not gonna do any randomized trials on that. Next is a CNN article, puke. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years. I watched a... I watched this as savvy 
break down all the charges and what the maximum sentences were. And basically, she should have been um, sentenced to 60, 65 years for all of the charges, but she got a 20 years in federal prison. There's reports that she's on suicide watch, even though her psychologist said she wasn't suicidal. So I wonder if those cameras are just going to stop working and she ends up dead. We'll just have to wait and see about that. But she should have got way more time than that. Uh, New York Post, a boy scout, a hero, a boy named Eli Skripsek. Skripsek? His dad is named Dan. He is the troop master, Appleton Troop 73. He said this week, after an interview with his 15-year-old son, Eli, who rushed to the driver's side to help a man who was struck by the Amtrak train that derailed. Horrible story. The kid, you know, the entire troop was out there trying to help people. This kid in particular rushed to the aid of a dying truck driver and was with him in his last moments. I guess he did everything he could. Of course, there was nothing that he could do, just be there for him. Obviously, the shock has worn off, and it's probably going to be a, a huge, traumatic, life-changing experience. The driver's death was one of three fatalities from the collision while dozens were injured. The train was carrying 243 passengers and 12 crew members. His son found the man in a ditch and called over a state patrol officer once first responders arrived. They tried to stabilize him, but the man succumbed. His dad said that he's a typical 15-year-old. He thinks he's Superman, that he should have been able to save this guy. I guess he said that some lady was really upset that they wouldn't let her see the body, but that shook him up too. It's just terrible, terrible situation. The scout leader's very, very impressed with his troop, and they all stayed calm, and they were a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem. Nobody panicked. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. And a lot more survive, survived than were killed. Very sad. But good on that kid for just being an upstanding citizen. And God bless his dad and this kid, this entire troop. Next is a report that Ukrainian forces are surrounded by Russian troops in the Donbass region. According to Reuters, at least 2,000 Ukrainian troops, including the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, are now trapped in eastern Donbass after having been surrounded. Chechen fighters and Ukrainian rebels are with the Russian troops. This is the first I'm hearing. Four Ukrainian battalions, as well as an artillery unit, are now among those trapped, the defense ministry announces. One of Putin's objectives for invading Ukraine was, he said, quote, denazification. And you see a lot of news reports come out about what they were saying about these military forces prior to the crisis. And they called them Nazis, too. And so now we're like, ooh, help Ukraine. Let's give them guns. Let's give them money, billions of dollars, and let's help them. Why the fuck are we helping them when they're terrorists? The report adds that the Russian military has also claimed that the trapped units have lost over 60% of their strength. According to the Defense Ministry, 41 Ukrainian soldiers encircled the area have surrendered. The Defense Ministry has also published a video supposedly showing those who have laid down their arms. The head of the Ukrainian Gorsky military, Gorskoye <laughs> military administration, his name is Aleski Pachenko. He confirmed to the Ukrainian media on Friday that the town has been fully seized by Russian forces and Donbass militias. Sergei Gadai, who is also the head of the Lugansk Oblast, 
by the Ukrainian government in Kiev noticed on the chat app Telegram that the country's forces may soon pull back because their defensive positions have been knocked out by Russian forces and there's little sense in trying to remain. Russian warplanes have successfully targeted Ukrainian artillery battery. And it's really interesting how we're not seeing this in the news anymore. Roe v. Wade has taken the forefront. But anyway, shit's still going on. Russia has used its long-range fires to overwhelm Ukrainian positions. That was Secretary Lloyd Austin said last week at a NATO ministers meeting in Brussels. And they are trying to figure out how to get more weapons and ammunition to Ukrainian troops being pounded by long-range Russian guns and rocket fires. The most advanced weapons in the United States has so far supplied Ukraine include four HIMARS, 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 truck-mounted multiple launch rocket launchers, badass, with rockets that have range up to 40 miles, greater than anything Ukraine currently possesses. The first Ukrainian team is scheduled to complete its training on the system on Wednesday, and it will be deployed in the battlefield next week. That is what a Biden administration official said. Russian encirclement comes amid earlier reports that Moscow's forces claim to have killed hundreds of Ukrainian troops during a strike on a shipbuilding plant in the Ukrainian port of Nikolov. In addition, the Russian Defense Ministry said forces killed dozens of Ukrainian officers during a strike on a compound where several Ukrainian unit commanders were meeting. The war will likely continue for months, if not years, and will no doubt leave more of Ukraine a wasteland as Russia continues to dominate in manpower, manufacturing, and technology. And the article says, to close, the U.S. should be sitting this one out, but won't, for some reason. Well, I wonder why. I wonder why. Uh, I thought we were off the topic of the the clot shot, but we're not, because I want to read through the top seven scariest post-vaccine adverse events that the mainstream media and CDC never mentioned for fear of vaccine hesitancy. Let's run through this real quick. So the CDC and the MSM mainstream media call it the vaccine hesitancy, which we've heard ad infinitum. But it's more about vaccine science that shows that the gene mutation jabs are experimental, dangerous, and ineffective. It's not hesitancy if the statistics reveal that getting a clot shot is far more dangerous to the majority of the population than actually catching it. It's not a conspiracy theory that the clot shots are experimental at best, with the emergency use only approvals and the fraudulent clinical trials that reveal commonplace nightmarish side effects and adverse events. Just because the mainstream fake news media doesn't cover the facts, it does not mean that they are not happening all around us. If a tree falls in the forest but you didn't hear it, doesn't mean it never fell. When perfectly healthy athletes, pilots, and military members drop dead from blood clots, myocarditis, heart attacks, and strokes just days or weeks after getting injected with gene therapy, there's a valid reason to be very concerned. Top 7 scariest. Number 1. Dropping dead suddenly from an unexpected cause. SADS. 2. Weird long rubbery fibrous blood clots, or biostructures they're calling them. 3. Myocarditis, irregular heartbeats and heart attacks. 4. Cancer and tumors flare up out of the blue. 5. Catching and or dying from COVID-19 and its variants. 6. Paralysis of arms, legs, or face, just like Justin Bieber's Ramsey Hunt syndrome. And 7. Suddenly suffering from GBS, Guillain-Barre syndrome. AIDS, ADE, or VAED. I don't know what those things are. There's a link. 
check out all the articles. They are for your um, reference below. Um, I know it's, it's a tiresome subject, but I've got another one. It's basically the CDC's deliberately withholding um, truth about these. And they're knowingly and allowing the general public to get injected. It's when this is related to the Johnson & Johnson, which they pulled, right? Well, they knew what it was doing to people. And there's proof of that. In late 2021, the CDC finally confirmed that a person had died from blood clotting following the Johnson & Johnson. The, it coagulated the blood and led to death. The private corporation, posing as a federal agency, however, took its sweet time letting the public know about it. CDC official Tom Shimabukero told both his colleagues and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, on December 2nd, 2021, that we have confirmed a ninth TTS death following the Janssen vaccination. This email was obtained via the FOIA request. TTS refers to thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome. This is a condition marked with low blood platelet levels and blood clots. Earlier that year in April, government officials had recommended hitting the pause button on that brand after six women developed this TTS. Three of the, those women died. The pause was lifted not long after, with government officials declaring that despite the deaths, the shot from Johnson is perfectly safe and effective and nobody should worry. But in mid-October, Shima Bukiro gave a single update about the issue admitting that five more people had died. Hmm. Then December rolls around. At that time, nine people had died. He, this doctor, notified his colleagues about it, telling them to be careful administering the shot to certain people. Two days later, Dr. Isaac C. from another official at the CDC formed a public, the public that nine people had in fact died from TTS. The Epic Times reports it's unclear when the CDC learned of the sixth, seventh, and eighth deaths. A quick look at the VAERS system shows that there's all, all actually been many more cases of post-injection TTS death than what the CDC emits. The nine deaths are just those that the CDC has officially confirmed. After notifying his colleagues about this, Shima Bukero's message was reportedly forwarded on to Dr. Amanda Kahn, who then passed it on to the CDC head, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. A closed-door meeting was held just days later to give an update on to the Vaccine Safety Technical Work Group, which is a part of the CDC's Vaccine Advisory Panel, and then took another 14 days before the public was notified. How many people got the shot in those 14 fucking days? <sighs> the Times explains that happened during a virtual meeting of the advisory panel that anyone was free to tune into. And point, they point out the fact that this pertinent information was not reported on by the media, but rather slipped by in a virtual meeting that almost nobody saw. Doesn't that piss you off? I know it really fucking pisses me off. Next is a lot of the, the strange stuff going on with Pride Month and the Roe v. Wade thing. Um, I don't know how, how legit or accurate this article is. I am skeptical, but I'm going to read it to you anyways. I do not think that some of the stuff happened, but it could have because I've seen some really fucking sick shit go on in some of these pride parades where people are bringing their kids to and it's just, it's not acceptable. But just for the sake of acquiring knowledge and doing some critical thinking on our own, let's go through this. 
Over the weekend, demon-inspired abortion advocates carried out demonstrations of filth and pedophilia in public, with obese naked men riding bicycles in front of children in Seattle, followed by golden showers, urination displays, as well as some people eating their feces. Scantily clad LGBT and transgender advocates twerked in front of children while pregnant women wrote in black marker, not yet human, on her pronounced baby bump and then displayed it for the public to see. Now, there is no doubt among decent Americans which side of the fight is steeped in evil because abortion advocates couldn't stop at rare or solemn abortions that were considered last-ditch option for unwanted pregnancies. No, they had to celebrate abortions and expand the definition of not just full-term babies, but even to kill babies up to 28 days after they're born. The political left, abortion is no longer a reluctant, shameful procedure, but rather something to be celebrated and even repeated as often as possible. Over 25 prominent corporations in America, including Disney, Levi's, Apple, Netflix, and more, have even promised to pay for abortion vacations so they can travel to places where they can have one with all expenses paid. Actually, reimbursements, not reimbursing their expenses. That's what I've seen. I don't know if they'll actually give them the money to go do it. I think it's all reimbursement. So the article goes on to say that so now the demonic leftists can get pregnant and get paid to take a vacation and murder their unborn child. This can be repeated ad nauseum because there are no limits on corporate benefits for abortion tourism. Authentic human human rights must include the rights of humans not yet born, for they are protected by the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, Section 1, which says that no state may deprive a human being of life, liberty, or property without due process. Abortion ends the life of a unique, conscious, aware, and alive human, yet that human has never been indicted, prosecuted, or found guilty of anything. To to deprive that human being of its right to life is to violate the 14th Amendment, which is added to the U.S. Constitution following the heinous human rights violations surrounded by slavery in America. Rejecting the human rights of protections of the 14th Amendment, abortion advocates are taking the country back to the days of slavery where one group of people could claim ownership and control over another group of people. When slaves were not considered to be full human beings, they were mutilated, raped, abused, sought and sold, and sometimes even killed. These actions were horrific evils and were eventually overturned, just as Roe v. Wade has been overturned in the same of human dignity and human rights. Yet today, the abortion zealots want to bring back the very same violation of human rights, claiming that doctors and mothers-to-be somehow have the right to mutilate and murder an entire group of human beings, simply because they find the existence of those babies to be inconvenient. By this definition from leftists, any group of people in America who find another group to be inconvenient must therefore, in their twisted logic, have the right to murder those they despise. This is the pro-abortion argument in a nutshell, that one group of Americans can murder another group of Americans and that the federal government must protect this right to murder, even though it grossly violates the rights of the individual. Thus, overturning Roe v. Wade was actually one of the most progressive decisions the U.S. Supreme Court could have possibly rendered. It establishes universal human rights in America, protecting all human beings from the violence and homicide of others. More importantly, it protects the most vulnerable in society. Infants that are wholly unable to defend themselves against such violence. I think that was beautifully written. I agree wholeheartedly. It's just, it's a really fucked up, sad situation. Uh, Let's move on. How Joe Biden covered Hunter's Russian hooker tab while leaked voicemail proves that he spoke to him about it. 
an illegitimate President Joe Biden inadvertently paid his tab to a Russia-linked escort ring. <laughs> so there, in this article, there's some great photos of two chicks riding Hunter. One's in reverse cowgirl, the other one straight on. And one chick smoking crack in the background. Crazy. So he spent more than $30,000 on prostitutes between November 2018 and March 2019. And many of those used the dot R are you email addresses linked to Russia and an ex exclusive modeling agency, Uber GFE. Joe wired 5,000 while Hunter was actively engaged with an escort. Hunter Biden disclosed in text messages with a woman named Eva, who's the go-between, who served as his primary point of contact for Uber GFE, that his accounts were temporarily frozen because his attempt payments to her girls with a Russian email account were too much of a red flag for his bank. Eva refers to him as Robert in the messages, which is his birth name. Hunter also convinced Joe to send 20000 more, claiming it was to pay for drug rehab in New York, which never happened. The examiner notes that there's no suggestion that Joe knew what Hunter was spending the money on. The Hunter asked the examiner, just after the above story was published, what's wrong with you? <laughs> in one instance, a prostitute named Eva told Hunter that he owed a total of 9500 for 16 hours of work, telling him to wire the funds directly to a bank account linked to a woman with a Russian email address. Less than 90 minutes later, Joe Biden sent him 5000 through Cash App, after which Joe Biden's Former assistant texted Hunter to say that the amount was the maximum amount allowed because the weekly limit is 7500 Many of the previously unreported records cited in the story, including Hunter Biden's communication with his father, were located in a password-protected iPhone XS backup found on a copy of his abandoned laptop. The iPhone was saved to Hunter Biden's computer on February 6, 2019. Konstantinos Gus Dimitrilos, a cyber forensics expert decommissioned by the Washington Examiner, located the password to the iPhone backup during his examination of the hard drive. In one instance, Joe Biden wired his son 5,000 less than three hours before he filmed a dispute with an escort over a 10,000 payment at a cottage in Boston. Hunter is currently under federal investigation for possible tax fraud linked to overseas business dealings. Speaking of, the Daily Mail leaked a December 2018 audio of Joe Biden telling Hunter he wanted to talk to him after the New York Times dropped a story on Hunter's dealings with a Chinese oil company, CEFC. President has repeatedly denied, through his press secretary, that he never talked about Hunter's business, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. I guess Joe called Hunter on December 12, 2018, saying he wanted to talk to him after reading in the New York Times story about Hunter's dealings with the Chinese oil giant. Files on Hunter's laptop reveal that he leveraged the family name to strike a deal with them for millions of dollars. CEFC, the Chinese mogul, Chairman Yi Ziming, was arrested in China while his number two, Patrick Ho, had been convicted in the U.S. for bribing Af African officials in order to help Iran evade oil sanctions. Then Yi met with Hunter in 2017 in a Miami hotel to discuss a partnership to invest in American infrastructure and energy deals. According to the leaked audio, Joe says in a voicemail to Hunter, Hey pal, it's dad. It's 8.15 on a Wednesday night. If you get a chance, just give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just wanted to talk to you. 
I thought the article released on I saw I thought the article released online is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance to give me a call, I love you. End quote. Hmm. It's pretty fucking out there, isn't it? And okay, last but not least, this is a long Stacy Socials. Q is back. I'm gonna read to you parts of a mashable article regarding this whole thing. If in case you don't know who Q is, they're going to tell you what they say it is. Okay, Q is the anonymous person or persons who created the QAnon conspiracy theory in 2017. They started posting on 8 Coon again on Friday night, same day the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It has been 563 days since Q last posted, but did you know that it was 1,700 days since Q first posted? So Q posted to the account on 8 Coon for the first time and said, quote, shall we play a game once more? Q, end quote. And then when asked by another user about their absence, Q replied, it had to be done this way. And then he wrote in a third post, are you ready to serve your country again? Remember your oath. So this article says that Q Anon, actually there's Q and then there's Anons. We've talked about this before that it's a far right-wing conspiracy theory that claims, among many other things, that former President Donald Trump is waging a war against a cabal of global Satanist, baby-eating, child-trafficking pedophiles made up of Hollywood elites and Trump's political opponents. Q posts are known as Q drops. And they first began shortly after President Trump mentioned the calm before the storm in front of the press during a meeting with senior members over the, of the military in 2017. QAnon followers believe Trump was referencing an event they've dubbed the storm in which Trump's political enemies would be arrested. Since then, QAnon believers have spent the last 18 months denying QAnon is a real thing in order to evade social media bans and speculating that President Joe Biden is imminently going to be removed for office, from office. With so much disappointment from events that didn't come to pass, many QAnon believers were thrilled to see the return of Q. 8Coon is formerly known as 8chan. It's an anonymous image board, much like 4chan, but filled with even more extremism and far-right rhetoric. Users on the site post completely anonymous. There's no need to sign up for an account. It's not just far-right rhetoric, and I won't even go on there just because um, there's bad stuff on there. I don't want to see that stuff. Uh, But anyways, it's not just far-right rhetoric. There's all kinds of gross stuff on there. There's sex stuff, there's child porn stuff, just all kinds of bad stuff that you can find on there. It's a completely free um, anonymous posting board, is basically. So users can choose to associate themselves with a trip code, which is a random string of characters assigned to a user's post. This helps others identify it's the same user, because the user behind the new Q post has the same trip code as the user behind the old Q posts on H8 Coon. Note that that Q first started posting on 4chan in 2017 before moving to the site also known or then known as 8chan months later. Researchers determined that it was likely that Q posting on 8 Coon since 2018 and the original 4chan Q are separate individuals. Who are those researchers? I would like to know. So this means that these new Q posts are from the real Q, right? Sure, but as Frederick Brennan, the former owner of 8chan, who sold the site to its current owner, Jim Watkins, claims the trip the trip code for Q shouldn't be the same. And then it goes into Jim Watkins and Ron Watkins, and if you want to know more about them, 
please go check him out because it's it's pretty interesting. Jim Watkins is an interesting dude. And Ron, he's actually running for Congress right now. So it's pretty interesting. And if you haven't watched the HBO documentary, you might want to check that out. As far as w- whether or not I believe any of that stuff, I don't know. To close up this article, it says the timing is certainly is certainly interesting if you believe Ron Watkins is Q. I don't believe that, but a lot of people may. Ron is currently running for Congress in Arizona. So far, the campaign hasn't been going very well. Perhaps Q is back to conveniently endorse Watkins in order to help his fledgling campaign, some QAnon researchers have speculated. Or maybe Q has bigger plans. After all, Hillary Clinton has yet to be arrested, and Joe Biden is still the President of the United States. On our accountability segment this week, I'm feeling pretty good about the show lately. I feel good about doing my part. I could stay quiet and keep my head down like most people, but I refuse. It's kind of, you know, I've always been that way. I've always been kind of a big mouth and got myself into more trouble than it's worth. But you know what? This time I think it's worth it. Will this cause me trouble? Keeping, you know, abreast of things and talking about them? Probably, no doubt. Will it bring me to the people who feel as I do? Yes, yes. And I want to say thank you, especially to all of my listeners. Bless you and all your baby angel hearts. Keep listening and maybe start your own show. I know there's a couple out here that are talking about it. Get on here and do what the universe is calling you to do, man. Business. Follow me on all my socials. They should all be linked below. Telegram invite link is below, Patreon link below, go visit inwardsurvival.com, give a donation if you can. Visit Twitter at Stacy Fringe, it needs some followers, go like me over there. Um, and then Forbidden Clothes, if you want to use the promo code FRINGE or use the link below, you can find some cool ass threads. I don't have anything for you in our mailbag, but I, I'm. it's a call to arms. Send me your mail. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. I do have a really great story to share with you next week. This episode's going to run a little long, so I'm not going to include it in episode 75. So it'll be there for you in episode 76. So yeah, all your crazy stories, or if you'd like to be on the show, send me an email, fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. I can record. Welcome back to Fringe with Benefits. We have a special guest. We have Alan Larson, and he is out of Idaho, actually like really close to my hometown and where my heart still is. I'm trying to get back there. I'm clawing to get back there. Thank you for joining us, Alan. Hey, thank you for having me, Stacy. Right on. So you actually, you teach jujitsu, right? Yep. yep. So what would you say to people that haven't ever taken any, any martial arts or self-defense? Do you think that it's imperative for people to, to get some training under their belt, especially in today's climate? Oh, most definitely, you know, at least a minimum self, you know, at least take some self-defense classes, you know, and, uh, 
because you never know when they come you know you may you may need to use them tools someday and you know it's better to have than not need than yeah not have absolutely you also you do some really great work with the community and you work with troubled youth we won't say where you work but you work at a pretty famous facility and um helping kids that are in are in deep trouble that really need to switch things up so they can have a, a good and productive life how how long have you been doing that? For about two years now. Awesome. And would you say that it's been rewarding or difficult or? You know, it's been, it's been both rewarding and difficult. You know, I, uh, you, uh, you spend a lot of your energy in an event, you know, on the end of them kids trying to get them on the right track, trying to get, you know, their mindset in the right spot. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you get kind of what they call uh compassion fatigue sometimes. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I have, I get that, you know, um, pretty much when I teach jujitsu, I get the same thing sometimes, you know, but you have to kind of check yourself, you know? Right. Well, it's probably easy to do that when you're dealing with people that aren't that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's like, we all are contributors to our family and our community. And if we don't keep ourselves right, it affects everyone around us. I mean, Sorry about that. You got a call from in. <laughs> oh, call no. from in. oh, I didn't even hear it right on. <laughs> yeah, I declined them. <laughs> That's cool. I shoot. I better turn my ringer off too. Um, but yeah, about the compassion fatigue. I think that it's probably really tough to you know to watch people just throw their lives away and how we're all accountable to each other especially right now we really need to be keeping an eye out for each other and if we're not taking care of ourselves we can't take care of the people around us right yeah are you can you hear me yeah i gotta my phone's blowing up it always happens (laughs) it always happens as much as is the uh, dealing with compassion fatigue, it's always good when you have them victories, when you see someone make the turn and uh, go the right direction. So that's, that's kind of the reward of it, you know, and sometimes it may be some a kid that uh, is having a hard time, but throughout the whole time in the, in the, in the program. And then, uh, you know, you, you'll get a year or two later, you'll get a, you know, thank you. You know, you yeah, really help them out. Absolutely. uh, Sometimes the lessons come later on, you know, they don't, they don't hit home right away. Mm -hmm. So you also have a history as a rancher and as a hunter, would you say that those skills help you with your, your work and in the dojo and uh, as well? Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I've kind of just honestly got started with, uh, doing uh growing my own uh food in the last uh year yeah i told me and beth we decided that uh we you know we need to lean towards self-sufficiency and not you know not depend on on going and and buying our food from the store you know and that's why you know my family has a they have a cattle ranch so we try to get all our our beef through them grass-fed beef and uh you know, and I'll try to supplement it by hunting game. And uh, I've got, uh, I just started started raising chickens. Awesome. I love <laughs> yeah. chickens. Yeah, it's been pretty fun, you know, and that's, so that's kind of what, what I've, you know, the past two years, 
you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I'd watch my grandpa do his garden and I, I wish I would have learned more. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention to any of that <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, we'd never do. They're like, pay attention. And then we, we, you know, look off. And then, then when we're older, we're like, shit, I should have spent more time paying attention. Cause I think about that a lot with my dad, you know? Yeah. It's messed up. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I lost my dad, uh, about 15, about 15 years ago. Oh, and, sorry. uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, it kind of hit pretty hard but then you know you all the stuff I learned from my dad you know it was pretty valuable lessons absolutely is uh, was he the one that raised the cattle is that where you took over the ranch no my uh my family has been uh raising cattle on the Weite Prairie since uh since uh 1890 no shit yeah that's awesome so i never really uh got into being around it much the last 20 years until the last couple years you know i've been yeah getting more involved in it than i used to be and uh you know they're they know way more than me (laughs) (laughs) no that's awesome though that you've got some roots there like family i mean that's that's incredible so um on this show, we talk about all things fringe. So any, anything you want to say, if you need to drop F-bombs or you need to, you know, say what you're feeling, go for it. But I think the main reason that we were came here together was to talk about the anomalous missing people in Idaho County and the surrounding areas, and that you've actually delved into researching this pretty intently, and you've got a lot of input about it. And you know, just never mind the fact that everything's fucking crazy as it is, but you've been awake to the corruption in our government and the way that things have not been right. You've been, you've been awake to this for a couple decades, at least you said about 25 years, right? Yeah, it all started for me. I I used to work night shift. I, I lived in the Tri-Cities for quite a while and I I worked out at, out at the Hanford, Hanford Nuclear Reservation. Mm-hmm. And I worked out there. I worked night shifts, so uh, I'd always listen to AM radio. And I started listening to this guy named uh, Doctor Stanley Monteith. Okay. And uh, you know, this started in about I'd say, say two ninety nine. I started listening. I started listening to him, and uh, you know, I he made a lot of sense. And uh, you know, this was twenty years ago, and to see what's happening now blows my mind you know on how right he was on his predictions he died about three or four years ago maybe maybe longer and I'm not really familiar with him maybe you can share with me um what he was talking about back then well see he always talked about uh he he had he had a book he had a couple different books one of them was called brotherhood of darkness oh cool and uh, he's a he's a doctor out of uh, Monterey, California, I believe. It was a, uh, I think he was an orthopedic surgeon, something wow. like that. He uh, did some kind of when he was in college, he did some kind of research paper, and that's what kind of started him going uh, diving into this occultic uh, hierarchy we have in this uh, in our government throughout the world, pretty much. Right. 
And he always predicted that there's going to be a global pandemic and they're going to try to force a vaccination. Wow, really? And uh, I, and that's that, when this stuff started to unfold, I was like, man, he's, he was right. He's right on the money with that, you know? Yeah. Wow. And it's still coming. Like they're still hitting us hard. They're pushing it really hard. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm surprised, you know, that not everybody's woke, you know, uh, woke up to it yet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I still see people, you know, wearing their mask. And I get, you know, some people, you know, they probably don't want to get that. They got health problems or whatever, but I just think it's, uh, I don't know. It really, mm-hmm. as soon as that started, I, I was kind of skeptical about it right off the gate, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to uh, be wrong. And uh, so I was kind of cautious with our jiu-jitsu academy at the time. You know, we did the, we did the, I think we shut down for like two weeks. Okay. That's not bad and, though. That's not too long. No, it really kind of hurt because we were just, you know, we were starting to pick up momentum mm-hmm. and uh, now we were, you know, kind of, I was like, well, I don't want to get it, you know, cause I didn't want to be wrong. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of feel things out and see where we're at. And then once, once the essential business is, they started deeming, you know, the big corporations is essential and shutting down the mom and pop stores. Yeah. I'm like, screw this. I'm going back. I don't care. They can arrest me or do what they need to do. Hell yeah. Right on. So did you get any pushback from the community about that? Or you were just like, screw you. I'm doing it. Not at all. I was, uh, you know, it was surprising how much support we got from the community and, uh, you know, everybody was ready and, you know, and we, we picked up steam afterwards and never looked back. And I just like, next time I'm, I'm not doing that again. Good. You know? Right on. We need more business owners like you and people that real leaders that are willing to step up to that. And, and I'm so happy to hear that the community was supporting you in that. And you probably saved people's lives by staying open. Like how many suicides and loss of life did we have because we were, they were closing g- gyms. I'm like, that's, that's what a lot of people, that's all they have is their fitness program yeah. and their, that's their community. That's their family. I mean, I see the same people at my gym every single day and I consider them family and it's just, it was just a really, really big shame. And, and you're in such a great area. Like the people there are just, they're hip. I mean, they, they, yeah. they don't rely on the government. They're, they call them the rough, rugged individualism. They, they are self-sufficient and they don't care. And the, the sheriffs typically support the community and not so much what the state wants, you know? Yeah. My mom, uh, she's, uh, she was, uh, she, she's on the school board mm-hmm. and, uh, she had a, she had a problem with, uh, some of them wanting to mandatory mask uh and they uh she ended up being the vote to not do mandatory masking awesome she she got a lot of pushback from that but also a lot of support too you know and kind of you know because she uh was pretty much the vote that said hey we're not going to do this hell yes so she's pretty happy with her 
that's amazing. Well, you have to give your mom a big hug for me too, because in my opinion, that's child abuse and it's a violation of our civil liberties to force anybody to do anything with their body that they don't want to do. And it should be an individual choice. Like if they want to wear them by all means, but now we're at the point, I just get pissed when I see them even wearing them because it, for one, it doesn't work. And for two, it's harmful to our bodies to be covering our breathing hole like that. You're just breathing in expelled toxins and, you know, I'm sure you heard the whole Spanish flu pandemic is the reason why we had such great loss of life was because of bacterial pneumonia from those nasty masks they were wearing all the time. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing and it's baffling. And it's like, people are doing things that are count- counterintuitive, but I guess it all boils down to what you were saying, Dr. Stanley Monteith, he said they're using occultism. They're probably using some form of sorcery to brainwash the hell out of these people. So they do things that are counterintuitive, right? Uh, a bit fear monger, you know, they want to, they want to scare people and that, you know, and that's a lot of the, the movies, you know, we watched all growing up the nineties, you know, and mm-hmm. outbreak and, oh, yeah. you know, and, you know, we kind of, you know, it's, it's in our subconscious to think, you know, we're all going to die, you know, this, na- you know, this nasty, Yep. bug that's going around killing people and that that's 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 in our subconscious you know through, mm-hmm. through what we watch on tv totally and same thing with the the climate change now too because that's you know next on the list if they can't get the virus to work they're going to push you know that the world we're going to be swallowed up whole because we're you know polluting or you know excessive carbon emissions which is a, a load of crap honestly um so let's talk about Dave Poletti's and the the missing four one one and like what's your what's your theory on well first you know maybe give us some background about some of the disappearances in Idaho County and and what you think like tell me what you think what's going on well one of the one of the stranger ones that I've uh, researched was a and uh, this happened back in the nineteen fifties okay. and and. Uh, and I and I, I don't know the exact location, but I know you know where Mackie Bar is, right? Yeah. So the guy, the the this guy was an old guy. He had a heart condition, and uh, he went. They his hunting party went out, and they left him there, kind of by camp. Okay. Kind of close by, just to kind of tend to the camp. He had a heart condition, so he you know he wasn't going to do much walking, you know. And I think he was in his. I think he was in his fifties. The old guy was at the time, you know, and he ended up. They uh, he walked. They last seen him walking away from camp to go to the creek. Okay. And then they ended up finding him like twenty miles away from the camp, with the bottom of his uh, feet were uh, skin was completely gone off the bottom, like his feet were burnt. Whoa. And he was dead in the Salmon River. And that's 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 where they found him at. And there's always one uh David's research, really good information. There's always something to do with the body of water mm-hmm. for some reason. You know, and and uh that was one of the ones that kind of that was kind of that happened in 19, I believe 1950 in the 50s sometime. I don't know the exact date on it. I'd have to look it up, but. Okay. 
that was a pretty strange, strange one all the way back then. And then uh, back in uh, 1980, as you're coming into Grangeville, there's okay. a dairy farm, right? So it yeah. sits on the left there. And there was a two-year-old boy, this is his grandparents' house, and he'd have been pretty, probably pretty close to my age now, you know, at the yeah. time, but he was about one or two, he was old enough to walk around. And uh, he ended up, they never did find him. He disappeared, like flat out vanished. Not a trace, not, not a, nothing. Nothing. Jeez. Or, or do you know if both of those are in um, the Missing 411 series at all? Yep, they both are. Yeah. Both okay. of them. All right. And recently, there was uh, a lady, and I have, I, I actually know one, her niece, Johnson was her last car. I can't, I think it was Carla or something like that. I don't know her exact name, but she was a cook out at Moose Creek. Okay. This is the one up on the Selway, right? That. Yep. Okay. And then she, uh, ended up they found the dogs mm -hmm. but, they, but they uh i think they i don't know if they found her remains or not yet but i don't think they have been, she was a she was they have okay oh no no i don't think they have okay yeah yeah it's, i was i don't know if they i haven't had an update on that one but uh she was a pretty savvy lady you know she was she'd spend every summer out there and uh it's not like her to just take off. Mm -mm. No, absolutely not. And, they, and then there was, uh, you know, that one was pretty, that one caught my eye. And then uh, I don't know much about the, you, I think you, you know a little bit about the one where the guy, they were videotaping. They were from, uh, I want to say Seattle. Yeah, something like that. Um, they ended up. They ended up. Uh, the guy started acting real strange. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the details to that one, but uh, that one was pretty weird too. Yeah, as a city kid, probably in his twenties, they were out there doing some kind of filming for a documentary or something, and and he just up and ran off into the woods and everybody's like what the fuck are you doing hey come back um and he just ran into the the tree line and never to be seen from again and they brought people out searching they couldn't find him they were talking to the you know people he was with was he on drugs they don't they speculate that he probably was not using and uh yeah they never i don't think they found his body either do you know I don't think so. I know they, uh, there was another one, a guy disappeared. Uh, there was a hunting party uh -huh. and he ended up, they found him in a pond about, about seven, you know, probably close to 20 miles away from where he was last seen. Okay. So there's that body of water again. Yeah. Body of water. And, uh, uh David Politis does this remarkable work you know like yeah just thorough with what everything he does and yeah he's fantastic um he i don't know do you follow him on youtube and watch his videos he puts out weekly yep 
I guess he got a letter from some guy that ran um, data analysis on all these disappearances, and he was able to um, correlate them with the phases of the moon and that a high percentage of them were happening during a full moon or near a full moon and near a new moon. And that just, that makes things much more complicated because he's got, you know, he's got his profile points that are confusing enough with the, the water, the, the granite, the boulders, or some sort yep. of rock formations. Um, they're taken like German people or really, really intelligent or mentally impaired people. And it's, um, it's almost as if like the genders or the sexes are there, they alternate like one year, a woman will be taken and the next year, a male will be taken. And it's just different and weird every single time. And he never gives a, like a hypothesis as to what he thinks it is. And I, he probably thinks it's a few different things, but I speculate maybe he contributes some of it to, to Bigfoot or aliens or um even our own government possibly taking yeah. people like what do you think is you know i uh there's several theories on it one theory is people are walking into portals oh yeah that's a great one he has mentioned they're just that. walking into portals and, yeah and that, you know, that's the only thing he can come up with and that you know he's not a conspiracy theorist guy he just looks at the information and mm-hmm. and he has no explanation for it you know and and some of it you know i i don't know if this is true or not but supposedly back in the 50s our government had an agreement with uh some alien race okay and i don't know how true that is but they had an agreement that they they get to harvest people. Yeah, I've I have heard that too. I don't know where I heard that from though. And you know, it's just it's you know, there's lots of uh, you know, and another another one that's really uh this is something that is uh murdered missing indigenous women, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, I uh I can't believe I see uh, once a week, at least once or twice a week, there's there, there's a a missing Indigenous woman. Mm-hmm. You know, Montana. You know, around locally, not so much, but you know, Browning, Montana, the Southwest. Yeah, and uh, they're uh, you know, Canada, really bad. You know. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what that. You know, I, there's no explanation for it. Like, you know, I don't, I, I it could be easy targeting maybe because the jurisdictional, uh, you know, it's, they're kind of limited to what they can do is on the, on the reservation as far as uh, law enforcement and investigating and charging people. So I don't know if that's where that all stems from, but. Uh, I think that's I a it's, good uh, theory. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, or I don't know if the, you know, you know, that some of them are probably being trafficked. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, you I know, think that's, that's what that's everybody's speculating. The thing we don't realize there's a million miss missing persons a year. One million people go, you know, upwards, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I. I don't know if they're if they're trapped if they're 
what they're doing, you know. I, I don't know who's doing it. I know it's kind of funny that the park service don't have any information and, and uh, they get, you know, every time he's tried to uh, investigate things and go to the park service, they, it's just a dead end. Yeah, it's almost like they're trying to hide information and they're charging him a ton of money to get together like that that information should be readily available they should be cataloging and tracking and keeping an eye on that but it seems as if they don't want us to look too far into it you know also another thing is uh you have to get special permits to fly drones in national parks i think that has something to do with it too is that they're really really strict on that and they like they wouldn't even give um, Dave his permit to fly his drone for his his thing. They gave him the ran run around, and I'm sure he's probably well known for what he's doing. And uh, yeah, why? I mean, why do why are we not allowed that liberty to fly drones in our parks? It's just weird. It's really weird. Um. Well, okay. So tell me, do you think that, um, so I know Dave has written a couple books on the Sasquatch people and he's got his theories about that. He doesn't talk about it much when he's discussing missing 411, but what do you think about that? Like, have you ever seen anything weird in the woods when you're out there? You know, I haven't. My jujitsu instructor, he's big on Bigfoot. Like, you know, and uh, yeah, he's he wants to yeah he's the type of guy that go out camping and and try to uh-huh. what they call a squatching or whatever you know <laughs> but you know i i i know that there's a being like that, that that's existed throughout our history mm-hmm. you know and if you look into native american historic records there was these giants around yeah you know and uh the only thing a good theory behind that it explains why they never can find a body i think they're interdimensional yeah that was i was going to ask you that if you thought that i think that's i think that's brilliant i think they probably are too actually and there's a lot of people that'll be like no no way but i think they're just being really close-minded about the subject that maybe they can move beyond the plane or the whatever density or dimension we're on you know, because that's how have they been able to evade us like that? Yeah, it makes no sense. I know Dave also put out some books at, where he collected all these newspaper articles about um, giants, bones being found, skeletons being found in the early the early 20th century, early 1900s, late 1800s. They actually put it in the newspaper that they unearthed this giant skeleton and and now it's like the Smithsonian came and picked it all up and now they've got it probably hidden in their vault or, you know, the Vatican's probably hiding all that evidence because they don't want us to know. And I think that there's going to be a lot of history that's going to break out into the open um, once we can rid ourselves of this occult hierarchy you were talking about, because they're, I think they're hiding a lot of information from us. Not only that, not only the giant people, but the little people too, because there's lots of lore 
Native American lore, all kinds of indigenous people lore about small humanoids as well. It's just bizarre. Absolutely crazy. There was uh there was one case that Dave talks about. It was down I, I wanna say it was uh it was in the south somewhere. I wanna say Georgia. Okay. And they were in a this the family was camped out in a park while the kid disappears. And uh they find the kid up this god awful terrain. Mm-hmm. That there's no way he would have made it made it out, and the kid says that he slept with this the dark man. Oh. Dark man kept him warm, kept him, and then, and I guess the guy, you know, they they had a search party team go up there and everything, and uh, they ended up having a, a special forces unit start operating out of there right after that, and the really? guy thought it was pretty weird, yeah. I'm and, taking uh, notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to go back through this and kind of comb through all it cuz I don't I don't really have the details like I want to have. Yeah. But I, I know about him cuz I've listened to about all of everything he's put out and I, I should have been better prepared and had specific places and uh dates and stuff. That's all right. We can always we can always have you back if you have um you know, anything that comes to mind, you're like, oh shit, I really want to talk about that. Just write it down and we'll do another, we'll do it again. Um, so much stuff, Stacey, I don't even know, like, you know, you everything kind of ties in together and there's just so much, you know, and that's so much trafficking going on right now. And, 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 uh, like, you know, I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, you were talking about a, a prosecute, was it a prosecuting attorney or, uh, mm-hmm. in Utah? Yep, that's happening that right now. Yeah, you know, and that and, you know, people that are public officials are involved in it. You know, mm-hmm. police chiefs, and uh, I, I, I think the world needs to get rid of it because mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, I, it's sick. It is, and sick. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I don't know. We gotta, we gotta purge the, mm-hmm. this. Uh, stuff that's going on because you know you you ever heard of the franklin cover-up yes i have but tell the listeners about it so back in uh early 80s republicans okay there was a guy named uh, lawrence king he even sang the national anthem at that i think it was uh i don't know if it was 84 85 he he sung for the Republican Party convention. Whoa. And uh, he ended up, he had a bank. And then he ended up having, uh, he, re- he kind of laundered money out of that bank. And he was recruiting young boys out of Boys Town. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much uh, prostituting the young boys out to these, these politicians. And uh, there was a Des Moines, Iowa. There was a kid. This he got nabbed in broad daylight, twelve years old. I think he was twelve. Johnny Gosh. Johnny Gosh. Okay. Yeah, Johnny and the and the mom went after to fi- find out because she was getting stonewalled by the police chief. They were saying he was a runaway. They were, and they ended up. He got grabbed from there. Then they, he went to Nebraska. 
and there was the other kid that kind of recruited him named Paul Bagazi, I think is his name. And that kid, uh, he was uh, been through so much uh, torture that his brain was, you know, like, uh, what do you call that? Multiple personality, mm-hmm. brain kind of compartmentalized. And he, they figured he could, he could not tell the truth. He, he tells the truth because the way his brain came, you know, his brain set up with all the trauma he's been through. And uh, they ended up sending him to prison, you know, and uh, they pretty much ruined that, that kid's life, you know, and mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's a documentary of people now that went through this abuse mm-hmm. and how, and the trouble that they have in their life because of it, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, that was right in front of our faces mm-hmm. and nothing done. Nobody's, nobody's, you know, I'm sure Lawrence King ain't in jail right now. Mm-mm. Nope. And they're still doing it. And they're still trafficking little kids out of the foster system. See, I'm sure CPS is in on it. Um, We've got a a whole cartel with our family courts. We've got the judges, the prosecutors, even defense attorneys. They're all out to lunch. I'm sure there's a couple of good people in there, but they're definitely out of the loop and they're unable to do anything as of right now. But back to that multiple personality disorder with Johnny, you were saying that this is something that's happened with other kids. And I've looked into that a little bit because there's a lot of people that have talked about this and that it's a it's an MK ultra tactic to abuse them so horrifically, whether it's sexual abuse, especially, but the really weird ritual abuse and that it will it will fragment their personality. It's the only way that they can cope. It's a coping mechanism for them to just compartmentalize the trauma. And it results in the multiple personality disorder. But also they say that this is how they make super soldiers is that it will, I don't know how it does. I don't know the science behind it, but it will fuck their brain up so bad that they're completely programmable and um, maybe there's some kind of hypnosis involved, but um, they say the same thing. I don't know if you've heard about um, the 20 and back theory. I haven't heard that. Okay. So this guy, Tony Rodriguez, there's others that have talked about it too, but Tony Rodriguez came out several years ago and said that when he was a kid, he was mean to some other kid in his class. And this other kid's dad worked for the government, the military or something. And that kid told his dad, hey, this kid's being mean to me. And so the dad's like, well, I'll take care of it. And the the dad actually enrolled Tony when he was little. I don't know if he was like seven or eight years old, maybe a little older, into the 20 and back program, which it's really, really way out there. But basically, I don't know how they do it, but they basically kidnap the kid and they enlist them into the secret space program for 20 years. And they, he said that he was not only went to other worlds to fight aliens, um, but he was also trafficked to these very wealthy people. And he was used as like a sex slave as a young child. And he claims to have been to certain houses in like Seattle, like the Mercer Island area. And that um, after 20 years of service, they were able to put him back into his body at the age that they took him. And he's not the only person that said that this technology has been used on them. And some of one of them is um, Laura Eisenhower, President Eisenhower's granddaughter. She's been really vocal about this as well. But there's just way too many people talking about this. 
And some of them are actually remembering. I don't know how they do remember. Some of them only remember pieces. Actually, most of them only remember pieces of it. Some of them more than others. But yeah, I mean, people are coming forward saying that they were they were a sex slave for the elite when they were a child. And that um, somehow they've been able to keep this under wraps. And it's not. So not only are they using, you know, um, deep state uh, military industrial complex methods to brainwash people, not not only like the public, but they're also taking kids and doing that to them. And it's having some really serious effects. I mean, their lives, they're basically ruined. I know that Kathy O'Brien, have you heard yep. of her? Okay. Yeah. Yep. She's been, she's been talking a lot. I know she was on, a, do you know who Nino Rodriguez is? I haven't heard of him yet. I, 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 I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to write that down. Yeah. Check him out. He's got um, a show that he puts on. It's like five bucks, four or five bucks a month. And you can, you get access to all of this stuff, but he does interviews with everybody, including people like, you know, Jesse Zabota. She's another one of those um, satanic ritual abuse victims. Um, Kathy O'Brien, as well as a ton of other people that are kind of like us that are that are trying to hack the system that they've laid out for us. But um, yeah, he was a boxer, heavyweight boxer, world famous. He was real badass. And now he's, he's fighting for our side and trying to get the truth out there. And he puts people on that nobody else will put on. And he's just, he's great, but yeah, talking about this a lot and it's, so the thing we brought up the Utah County prosecutor that sheriff, Mike Smith, the one that's actually trying to pull an investigation together, he actually put a public news release out like, hey, if you've ever experienced this type of abuse um, ever, please call us. And they got like 20 calls within the first few days. And hopefully, I mean, like fingers crossed prayers that they were able to put together a case because last time they brought the case, it you know, if they debunked it there, so they say, I also heard that when they, you were talking about it, the prosecutor came forward and said, when he gave his little spiel to the news that it was, uh, you know, that he was trying to get him because elections are coming up or whatever, but he said, I've never, I'm, you know, I've never, um, I'm not a cannibal or I've never practiced cannibalism. Well, that was one of the things that they didn't share with him that they were looking at, that, that, that was something It was kind of like he told on himself when he brought up the cannibalism thing. So it was kind of, he caught him, caught him slipping there. Another thing is I just don't understand. Okay. The, the, I'm sure you heard about the satanic panic in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. So those that supposedly that's been debunked, right. And those people, even though they, a couple of them went to jail, they say that they're completely innocent of that. Well, those kids came forward and said that there was an underground passageway where they were being taken down there and not only sexually abused, but were shown, um, you know, acts of violence against other children babies being killed, all this crazy shit. I don't think there are any kids that are in preschool that would just come up with some crazy story like that. And then to have all of society go along with this, 
you know, satanic panic that it's uh it's all just a a story and that people don't like heavy metal and, <laughs> and they're afraid of satanism and so they just make a bunch of shit up that this stuff's happening it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me and there's definitely shit going on i think uh i think there's always something there mm-hmm. and i think that i think they sigh off us mm-hmm. you know they sigh off us and uh thinking you know uh, you know, the truth is, uh, they always say the truth is stranger than fiction, you know, and that's, uh, I really believe that, you know, and, you know, another one uh, is Ted Gunderson, former head of the Los Angeles FBI. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's, well, he, uh, I think he uh, did some work with Kathy O'Brien. Yeah, and, I think you're uh, right. And uh, I think, uh, well, Johnny Gosh's mom, he got involved in that. And, uh, well, he died of cancer. You know, he was old, but yeah. he uh, he started uncovering this uh, ritualistic abuse back in the 70s. There was a Green Beret doctor that he was trying to, he, they hired him as a private investigator after he retired from the FBI. And he ended up uncovering a bunch of, you know, stuff yeah and then he got in on the he he started working on this franklin cover-up investigation wow and they actually they had uh photos that this uh russ nelson rusty nelson he uh he was the photographer that took pictures of all this stuff i imagine they took pictures to blackmail yeah people and uh he ended up give, getting the pictures to this guy i can't remember the guy's name but his, him and his son crashed in the aircraft, Michigan, mm. and the army came, took the wreckage away, everything with it, and scooped it all up, and nothing. That was the end of it. But Damn. he had the smoking gun. He had the smoking gun with all them pictures. Yep, and his eyewitness testimony. I think that's what's going to be our saving grace: is these people that aren't you know, that they're just guilty by association. They're participating in this stuff and people are going to have to start coming forward and blowing the whistle. Yeah. And last I heard, uh, Rusty Nelson is living in Oregon somewhere and he, he was having a tough time. They were messing with him pretty bad. Oh, I bet. In his life. And, uh, yeah, he wasn't in a good spot. Last I heard, you know, who knows he might even be gone by now. Yeah. Well, I, I think you called it when you said they psyop us because not even if we're not even involved and we're still victim of what they're trying to do, as well as um, I don't know if you've heard of the targeted individuals. Have you yep. heard of these people? Yeah. They're they're pulling some crazy shit on them. They've got some tech, the, the, the God of voice technology, the energy directed weapons. Um, they're, they can make us feel sick from miles away. And I mean, just the technology is way beyond what the world knows. And I think, I don't, I don't even know if most of the population is going to be able to deal with the truth because it's going to be, it's going to be startling for people. Yeah. So it's no wonder why they, (laughs) why they refuse to believe because it's way out there, but you know, shoot. I mean, all those black projects they had going on even way back as the fifties and the sixties with the, the MK ultra, but also the remote viewing, 
they were practicing astral projection. We've got we've got Air Force um, veterans coming forward talking. They were involved in these operations. We've got uh, soldiers coming forward. We've got geez, I mean, even with just the basic, you know, real world stuff like um, the the voter fraud and and the the conspiracy stuff that it's not even conspiracy stuff because we've got we've got evidence we've got testimony it's not all anecdotal either you know and something's got to give and i think that we're like right at that point because things are starting to get really hot and heavy for everybody that it's gonna have to happen and i was just so stoked to see that the news was talking about the um the the ritual abuse and the sexual abuse being happen happening yeah, definitely come come to light you know a lot more in the last four or five years and you know and I I think people are on to it for the mm-hmm. most part you know people are on to it and uh, but you know we have you know CNN's a CIA operation in itself so you know if there's if there's news on it they're not going to really hit it big mm-hmm. you know they don't really like I've never even heard about the Utah prosecutor till I listened to your podcast. I didn't even know about that. Really? I'm sure it was a blimp on the news, but I never got it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't find very many articles. And then the fact that I'm doing a little bit of research as I'm, you know, recording for that podcast and you find that he rushed out to Ukraine to his apartment to recover some documents. He left with the clothes on his back. He didn't even pack himself an overnight bag. What does that say about Ukraine and what's going on over there? Oh. Yeah, yeah so. that's uh I think that's a psyop right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, I, you know, and that's uh, that's that's why you know you see people put you know putting the Ukraine flag up and mm-hmm. it's like yeah, you know, I there's more to this. It just don't feel right. Right. You know. And I, you know, I think we perpetuated that that war over there, you know. And I'm uh, not that I'm I'm not saying that Russia's an angel or anything, but right. You know, we pretty much left them with no choice. I think. Yeah, then, I feel the same way about it. I think I think that Russia's literally at war with NATO, which is us. We are at war yeah. with Russia, basically. And I think that we are as citizens at war with our own country at this point because it's it can't go on this way any longer. I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a tragic comic to watch the president of the United States. Can you know, I mean, he's not running the show. I mean, it's obvious to see that. No, he can't, can't put together a coherent sentence. Nope. You're right about that. General McInerney. I can't say his name. McInerney. (laughs) McInerney. Oh, shit. Well, that general, he's a very famous general. He's been going out there. He's saying that it's Obama who's running this show. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, see, Obama, I don't think he got done what he wanted to get done. No. Yeah. Well, I think Hillary was supposed to finish it off. And when she didn't get in, you know what if she would have got in we would be in deep shit right now i think we're in a better spot than we would have been had she had her time oh for sure yeah you know and i i'm i'm like uh i don't know donald trump i i kind of i i I wish he could have done more Mm -hmm. 
you know, so I'm not all the way on the Trump boat, hundred percent. Right. I'm pretty skeptical. I mean, I want to, I want to think that, you know, all this stuff's going to happen, but I don't know. I start to wonder if that's all just ain't a psyop to just get people pissed off and fight each other. Yeah. And get in arguments. And... It probably is. It probably is. And Facebook, you know, how much we love it. It's probably, it's probably that DARPA life log that they decommissioned the same day they brought Facebook out. I mean, it's so that app is so sophisticated and it's able to track so much data and, and it's been doing a really good job for however long it's been up, which what 22 years now close to. So they're getting what they want to get. That's for sure. And so I try to be really careful with what I give them too. And also these phones, those cameras, thanks to the Patriot act, those cameras and those mics, they can tap in and listen anytime they want to. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the ultra uh, surveillance state, we are living in George Orwell's 1984 now. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So I remember watching that when I first kind of, a guy told me, he's like, you got to watch 1984. You got to watch it. I didn't read the book or anything, but I watched right. the movie. And uh, at the time, you know, I was like, yeah, I can see that coming, you know, down the road, 40, 50 years. Right. Well, here we are, 20 years, and it's upon us right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What great time to be alive. But I think uh, we're all here for a reason, and we all have our purpose, and we're going to make it happen. I mean, good wins, right? That's how that is. Yeah. And that's all, you know, really, at the end of the day, that's all we can really do is try to help help the person to the left to the right of us and uh you know try to try to bring positive energy into the world and 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 do good things and help people out and you know i i really uh don't want violence to be honest with you you know i mean and uh you know it's it's crazy that the people that are perpetuating violence ain't very good at it oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know Yep. It's the guys that are good at it that are standing down for now. That's right. And they don't want to wake the sleeping giant because they're going to be in for it. And I don't want to see that either. But also, I've, it's almost like I've been preparing for this my whole life. And I, it was, I literally saw it in my mind's eye that as my kids were nearing adulthood, my son just turned 19, my daughter's 15, just as my kids would be nearing adulthood, that we would be in social turmoil, that we would be, it was going to get to be like road warrior. And it was like, I just knew. And so I've always been into fighting and um, weapons and and survivalism and not only wilderness survival, but urban survival. And there's always the need to be training and to train the kids up and just to be ready just in case, you know, because we can't be comfortable forever. You know, it takes hard times for us to be able to live the way that we are living. So I don't know, man. I don't know. It's been great having you on here. Alan, is there, do you want to promote your dojo or talk about anything before we head out? You bet. Uh, yeah, if, uh, I'm a. Uh, we were at a, what's that? What's our website? I mean, 
Well, send me the link and I'll, I'll just attach it to the description. My email's uh progressive uh jjid at gmail.com. If you're interested, want more information, you can email me. I'll I'll respond back. Awesome. We're on Facebook too, Progressive Jiu-Jitsu. I'll link it all in the show notes when we go, when we post it. And uh, thanks for coming on, Alan. Oh, it was great, Stacey. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Inward Survival School of Magic. We've got some Ryan Holiday for you. He writes this badass article about life-changing habits to try to do every single day. And I'm telling you what, I do some of these things and this is some real life magic. He says, the poet Heraclitus said that one day is equal to every day. By that he means that every day is the same length, comprised of the same amount of hours, the same sun up and sun down. Yet he also meant it in the sense of that philosophers have always meant the same idea, that if you can get one day right, you have a shot at getting your life right. And that you should try to get today right because tomorrow is no guarantee. Whereas my friend Aubrey Marcus put it wonderfully in the title of his new book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. So the first thing, prepare for the hours ahead. Each morning you should prepare and plan and meditate how you aim to act that day. Don't wing it and don't be reactionary. Have a plan. Marcus Aurelius rose in the morning and did his journaling. He would prepare himself for what he was likely to face in the hours ahead. He thought about the people he was likely to face, difficulties he might encounter, and what he knew about how to respond. The morning is the perfect time to journal and to use the pages in that journal to set yourself up for a successful day. I actually do that. I do weekly goals, three-month goals, yearly goals, way-out goals, um, visualization, and I do. I plan out every single day and every single week, and it's just been miraculous for me. Next is go for a walk. For centuries, thinkers have walked many miles a day because they had to, because they were bored, because they wanted to escape putrid cities they lived in, because they wanted to get their blood flowing. And in the process, they discovered an important side effect. It cleared their minds and helped them make better work. As Nietzsche would later say, it is only ideas gained from walking that have any worth. You should go for a walk every single day, not only for exercise, but for the philosophical and psychological benefits. Experience nature, experience the quiet of the world around you, and take a break. If you're too busy, multitask. You can do a walking meeting. You can make some phone calls while you're walking. Just uh, multitask if you have to. Next is do the deep work. This is, we're talking shadow work. All the stuff that people do not want to do. He says that so much of our day is spent at the surface, skimming this and that, vaguely paying attention to this conversation or that one. This is not what we are put here for. You must take time, preferably an hour or more a day, for what Cal Newport calls the deep work, the type of intense concentration and cognitive focus where real progress is made on whatever it is we happen to do, be it in writing or thinking or designing or creating. Elite work takes deep work. Next is do a kindness. The Boy Scouts motto was to do a good turn every day. Seneca wrote, Wherever there is a human being, we have an opportunity for kindness. Yep, even those rude assholes that we don't like. People that you're in competition with, as well as the people you love and are connected to. Co-workers are a chance for kindness. Your spouse, the mailman. 
It will make you feel better to take advantage of that chance and it will make your day better if you do and it will make the world better if you do. Next is read. Pick up a book every day, even if it's just for a few pages. Emerson says every book is a quotation of other books, of experience, of humans and civilizations that came before it. How could you not expose yourself to this? And yes, you do have time. Meals, before bed, on the train, in the waiting room, even on your phone or desktop. Read a few pages. Read a whole book. But make a real and unending commitment to reading. Next is find true quiet. Every single day you should find a way to disconnect and unplug, even if it's for a few minutes. He says he likes to swim, not only for the exercise, but because nothing can get me there. He says, I don't have my phone, there's no noise, just calmness and peace. Ask yourself, how often am I unreachable? And the answer is not often enough. Build some of this time into your daily practice. You'll be better for it and the world will not notice, I promise. Next is make time for strenuous exercise. It's become a cliche to say this, but when scientists consider exercise to be the single thing that comes close to the magic bullet in terms of its strong and universal benefits, and it's Richard Branson's number one piece of advice to entrepreneurs, it cannot be overstated. We need it far more than you think. Don't put it off. Do it. Be in shape and be healthy. And what I personally find is that it is important to have goals with your exercise. Why? So that no matter what happens that day, at work, at home, in the economy, you have something that went well. Oh, God, man, that's just so important. The value in all of these things is just, or it can't be overstated, really. Next is, think about death. Shakespeare said that every third thought should be of our grave. Perhaps that's too much. One thought per day is plenty. The point isn't to be morbid, but to remember that you are mortal. How much time do we waste on things that don't matter, and why? Because we think we can afford it. Memento mori. You will die. Live while you can. Live your life as you have died and come back, and all this is extra. He says he keeps a coin in his pocket to remind him of this and to touch it at least once a day. Death does not make life pointless, but rather purposeful, and fortunately, we don't have to nearly die to tap into this. Next is seize the alive time. What does every day seem to be comprised of? Too much dicking around. People are just killing time. Remember Raymond Chandler's line, and it dies hard. We get to where we were going and walk into the lobby and check our watch. It says we're a few minutes early, so we reach into our pocket and grab our phones. Is this act not the expression of so much of what's wrong with modern life? The entitlement, the resignation of it, how much better we would be and the world would be if we never did this again. If we chose a live time over dead time, there's so much you could do in those few minutes. Face fears, reach out and connect with someone, do something you've been putting off, expose ourselves to sunlight and nature, be still and empty, prepare for what lies ahead, seize the alive time. Next is say thanks to the good and the bad. The Stoics saw gratitude as a kind of medicine, that saying thank you for every experience was the key to mental health. Convince yourself that everything is the gift of the gods, was how Marcus Aurelius put it, that things are good and always will be. Say thanks to a rude person. Say thanks to a bungled project. Say thanks to a delayed package. Why? 
because for starters, it may have just saved you from something far worse, but mostly because you have no choice in the matter. Epictetus has said that every situation has two handles. Which are you going to decide to hold on to? The anger or the appreciation? The one of resentment or of thanks? Put the day up for review. We prepare in the morning and now we reflect in the evening. The best way to improve is to review. So each evening you should, like Seneca did, examine your day and your actions. He said, when the light has been removed and my wife has fallen silent, aware of the habit that's now mine, I examine my entire day and go back over what I've done and said, hiding nothing from myself, passing nothing by. The question should be, did I follow my plans for the day? Was I prepared enough? What could I do better? What have I learned that will help me tomorrow? And second to the last, find a way to connect to something big. The worries and anxieties of life seem to fall away when we stand next to the ocean or walk through a beautiful park. We shouldn't wait for our annual vacation to get this kind of relief and perspective. We need to get it every single day. The Stoics had an exercise for doing this. Marcus Aurelius would look up at the stars and imagine himself running alongside them. He'd see them for their timelessness and infiniteness. Try that tonight or early in the morning and try to make it a daily practice. A glance at the beautiful expanse of the sky is an antidote for the nagging pettiness of earthly concerns, of our dreams of immortality or fame. And last, get eight hours of sleep. Sleep when you're dead, we say, like it's some badge of honor how little time we allot to it. Bullshit. The body needs its rest. Schopenhauer said that sleep is the interest we pay on the loan of life. Be glad to pay it. It's what keeps us alive. Guard your sleep carefully. It's an obligation. All the other habits and practices listed here become irrelevant if you don't have the energy and the clarity to do them. How much wisdom was just in that short little article? How much are we missing every day because we do not incorporate these habits into our life? I hope that you all can manage to find a way to at least do a couple of these things, if not all of them. And I vow to do the same. Our Stoic of the Week goes to Ryan Holiday. He said, There is no good or bad without us. There is only perception. There is the event itself and the story we tell ourselves about what it means. And that's what is so insidious about talk. Anyone can talk about himself or herself. Even a child knows how to gossip and chatter. Most people are decent at hype and sales. So what is scarce and rare? Silence. The ability to deliberately keep yourself out of the conversation and subsist without its validation. Silence is the respite of the confident and the strong. And wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and wherever we are going, we owe it to ourselves, to our art, and to the world to do it well. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Fringe with Benefits.